We continue our study in 2 Kings, chapter 8. We'll read verses 16 to the end. 2 Kings 8, beginning at verse 16. Now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, being then the king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, became king. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab became his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. However, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he had promised him to give a lamp to him through his sons always. In his days, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah and made a king over themselves. Then Joram crossed over to Zair and all his chariots with him, and he arose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots, but his army fled to their tents. So Edom revolted against Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time. The rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did Are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Ahaziah, his son, became king in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab had done, because he was a son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Then he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazael, king of Aram, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Arameans wounded Joram. So King Joram returned to, returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which the Arameans had inflicted on him at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Aram. Then Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. Well, we've been considering for the last several chapters primarily the kings of Israel and what God was doing in Israel. We saw Judah come in at several times, but in this section, from beginning at verse 16 to the end, there's going to be a shift and a focus, a refocus on the kings of Judah. We have in the first place Jehoram, king of Judah, and remember, there's Jehoram, king of Israel, and Jehoram, king of Judah. So we have to uh, keep alert as we, as we do these, as we do these studies. 
As we prayed and began this morning, I reminded myself and, and you of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for, for what? Teaching. Yes, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Does that include 2 Kings? Yes. We believe it, but boy, it can be hard. It can be hard to mine out uh, the gems of Scripture and what would God have for us in this passage. And it's it's the challenge and the blessing of expository preaching that we go through a passage of Scripture. And again, this is not a passage that some uh, a preacher would stand up and say, my heart has just been burdened. I love this passage. It's my favorite text. I'm going to speak on it today. But God's word is profitable for teaching, and I just want to remind myself and and you of that truth. So verse 16, we'll seek to work our way through. And again, I had two sheets over on the counter. One were the lessons, and two, I'll I'll just make a, a, a commercial here, if you will. This is a chart of the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom, and the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom. And this is taken from one of my favorites, an old book, uh, An Introduction to the New Testament by E.J. Young. And one thing I like about it, do you notice its size? It's not that big because some introductions to the Old or New Testament can be about that big. It's fairly brief. He wrote a wonderful, massive commentary on Isaiah and other uh, portions of Scripture. I was a professor at Westminster Seminary. Anyhow, this is primarily from E.J. Young. I go to this chart often, and I recreated it for you with just a couple edits. And you can see some of the kings that we're going to reference, but maybe it'll help you when you read the kings to know who's who, uh, who's on first, if you will. So back to our passage here in Second Kings. 8 verse 16, now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat being then the king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, became king. That's an interesting way to say it. We last heard of Joram king of Israel, when he restored the Shunammite's land, when uh, he was speaking with Gehazi and the Shunammite and her son showed up, that's the last time we heard about Joram or Jehoram. Remember, it's like Sam and Samuel. It'll be used of both of these kings, Joram or Jehoram. And uh, Joram, king of Judah, so we had Joram, king of Israel, he ruled for 12 years, but Joram, king of Judah, ruled for eight Years And again, you can look at that chart as need be. Verse 17, he, that is king of Judah, Joram, was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. Sometimes the Bible tells us flat out how long they were a king. And there it says eight years, as we mentioned. Verse 18, he, again, Joram, that's the focus here, Joram, Jehoram, king of Judah. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now, he was the king of Judah, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab became his wife, and that's Athaliah, 
Verse 26 tells us that. So the king of Judah married the king of Israel's daughter, Athaliah. And this is the reason, this is part of the reason he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel because she became his wife and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that's our title today, evil in the sight of the Lord. It's repeated twice here in verse 18 and then again in verse 27. There, there I, in a moment we'll hit what I believe is in a sense the center point of this text. But these two descriptions, first of Jehoram and second of Ahaziah, that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. You'll see that over and over again. And if you look at that list of all the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, the vast majority, maybe 90 plus percent, they all did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were very wicked. But on the kings of Judah, we'll find that they are often better. They feared God, and we'll come upon that in a moment. But this king, Joram, because he married this woman, the daughter of Ahab, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now his father was who? Who was the father of Jehoram, king of Judah? You see it on your sheet? I'll need your help to keep track this morning. Who was the father of Jehoram? Jehoshaphat, yes. Jehoshaphat was one of the most godly kings, and he ruled for 40-plus years. He had a wonderful reign, yet his son, Jehoram, is wicked. And you can read about Jehoshaphat's godliness in Second Chronicles 17. So lesson one of five is this. Beware of family or friends who are a bad influence. Beware of family or friends who are a bad influence. The text is clear. He did evil like the house of Ahab, for the daughter of Ahab became his wife. She was a horrible influence. And even the influence of Ahab through his daughter to Jehoram was strong. Matthew Henry said, Parents cannot give grace to their children. Jehoram was a godly, excuse me, Jehoshaphat was a godly man, but he couldn't give grace to his son. And this is a good truth. Parents cannot give grace to their children, but I would add, but we can give sin. Actually, we can give it very easily. When our children see our anger, our impatience, maybe our unbelief, maybe our forms of idolatry, is that hard for them to pick up? It's very easy. It's very easy. So we have to beware of ourselves and of those around us, our family or friends, who are a bad influence. Now, Audrey, I'm sorry, you're the only young person here. <laughs> I wanted to address kids. You're not a kid. Uh, but but all of us, especially children, parents, grandparents, uh, some of you will be grandparents, they're watching and they will follow your example, especially in the bad things. It's alarming when we can see in ourselves the sins of our parents. Maybe they had a besetting sin, and often, but for God's grace, we can copy the same thing. It's true. People influence us. Woe unto those who lead their family and friends into evil. 
I love and I'm always challenged by Paul's words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company, what? Corrupts good morals. That's a great verse to teach our children and to teach ourselves. And maybe uh, some of you might have Facebook or Instagram and especially the younger generation. I heard a report this week, a lot of young people What is the number one thing they want to do when they grow up in America? They want to be an influencer. That's a word we hear a lot about. They want to be an influencer. They want to be on a platform. We hear a lot about platforms in the news because people want to influence others. Well, you do have an influence, and we need to beware of those who are influencing us. And this is an example This king, who had a godly father, followed his wife and her um, her father in great evil, to the degree that his life is summed up that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So, by God's grace, let us leave a good legacy or good example to our children, our grandchildren, and so forth. We have an influence on the lives around us. And maybe you don't have much family. Maybe it's your friends or co-workers. You have an influence on them. And in this case, it's his wife, wives. Beware of the influence you can have on your husband. You can bless them by your godliness, but you can also make them stumble by your sin. We influence one another. Fathers, beware of the influence you have on your daughters. Ahab was a wicked king who influenced his daughter Athaliah for great wickedness, and she influenced her husband and her son, which we'll see in a moment, for great wickedness. And these sins call out God's wrath. That's the point we've been reading. You read the story of the kings God is continually punishing them with famines, with sword, because of their idolatry, because of their immorality, because they did evil. Their sins call out for God's wrath. But then what do we see in verse 19? Verse 19 is beautiful. And maybe the centerpiece, like around the Thanksgiving table, you have or in the middle of it, you have a centerpiece of beautiful flowers, or maybe it's the turkey. But in our passage, the centerpiece is verse 19. However, in spite of this evil king in Judah, however, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. For the sake of David, his servant, since he, that is God, had promised him to give a lamp to him through his son always. This is a, a diamond in, in, the, in the mud of Second Kings. This is a beautiful verse. And learn in the second place, the Lord's promise of a Davidic king could not be thwarted by the most wicked of kings. The Lord's promise of a Davidic king, which is clear, could not be thwarted by the most wicked of kings. And this man, Joram of Judah, was very wicked. But it did not and could not and would not thwart God's plan for a son of David to be on his throne always or forever. We've referenced this verse in Corinthians many times. For as many as are the promises of God, 
in him, that is in Christ, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. We could say it this way, all the promises for a Davidic king are yes and amen in Christ. So this is a beautiful uh, nugget of the gospel and a pointing sign to Jesus Christ here in the midst of all this evil. However, the Lord was not willing because he had a promise to seat one of David's descendants on his throne forever. We're coming upon the Christmas season. You may read Luke 1. Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. All of these kings, however dimly lit the lamp was, pointed to our Lord Jesus, the Son of David, and I read um, Matthew 1.8 this morning. We read the genealogies in the Bible, and sometimes they feel so dry. But I have a new appreciation when I read the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And he goes on and on through all these people. And then he says, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. These were wicked men, yet in God's providential working, they were the great-great-grandfathers of our Lord Jesus, the Son of David. That's glorious. And we see God's power. We see his purpose because he made a promise to seat one on David's throne. There it is. Even though this man should have been obliterated immediately, and even his whole line, yet God had a purpose and a plan for even these wicked men. Stand amazed. And maybe there's a new appreciation for Christmas, for the birth of Christ down through. And we've looked at other people in his lineage. But Joram, how could it be? It's God's purpose and his promise. Well, providentially, also, the Lord did use surrounding nations to rebuke his idolatrous people. He still had a purpose to bring the Messiah, but he also simultaneously punished these kings. Verse 20. And in his days, that is, Joram king of Judah, Edom revolted under the hand of Judah and made a king over themselves. Now, Edom was sort of a, a vassal state and First uh, Kings 22.47 says there was no king in Edom. A deputy was king. There, uh, Judah was controlling the realm of Edom, but they got fed up. In Second Kings 3, we see this deputy slash king working with the kings of Israel and Judah against the king of Moab. So you can look back about the king of Edom. But here, Edom revolted. Verse 21, Then Joram crossed over to Zaire and all his chariots with him, and he arose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots, but his army fled to their tents. So it seems he had some victory against the Edomites. He attacked them, and yet, in the end, his army fled to their tents. It's sort of an obscure and difficult to understand. He struck them, yet, again, his his people, the army, fled to their tents. 
We don't have much more than that. Uh, we'll, we'll hit something here in a moment. Verse 22. So Edom revolt, revolted against Judah to this day, the day that the chronicle, the, the writer of Kings was writing. They continued to revolt. Then another city-state, if you will, Libna, revolted at the same time. Verse 22. Libna, you can find it on the map between Eglon and Gath. They also revolted because God had promised that if you don't obey me, I will punish you. And he's using, God is using Edom and he's using Libna to punish the people of Judah because they were taken up with idolatry. They were not wholeheartedly following God. And how do we know that? Turn over to Second Chronicles 21. Second Chronicles First Chronicles covers David primarily, and then Second Chronicles comes into the kings of Judah, and more of that in a moment. But Second Chronicles 21. We'll first read verse 10, and then 16 and 17. So Edom revolted. It's, it's a parallel passage of the history. So Edom revolted against Judah. To this day, then Libna revolted at the same time against his rule. That's what we read in Kings. But then get the next words. Because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. And then jump down to verse 16. The Lord put it into the mind of the Philistines and the Arabs who lived near the Cushites to to attack Jehoram. So they went to war against Judah and invaded it. They carried off all the possessions found in the king's palace and also his sons and his wives. Not a son was left to him except Jehoahaz, his youngest son. So, We need to compare, it's just like John's doing the study in the life of Christ in the synoptics and and in John and comparing, well, we have to compare 2 Kings with 2 Chronicles. And Chronicles tells us why these things were happening, why Edom was attacking, why Libna was attacking. They were attacking Judah because they had what? Sinned. They were idolaters. They were following in the path of Ahab. And it reminded me of Exodus 34:14. Our third lesson is from that verse. You shall not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Exodus 34:14. And the backdrop to the kings, a lot of it is in the Pentateuch, particularly in Deuteronomy. And this is what God said, you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. He will not share worship with anything else or anyone else. But the Judeans had taken up to worship idols, and God was punishing them by the hand of Edom and Libna. Well, lest we think it's just a an old covenant idea, listen to James' words that even that sinful friendship with the world, which is hostility toward God, he says he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. So even in this new covenant era, we have the same 
God the same truth that he is a jealous God. His name is jealous and he wants us a hundred percent. We've been bought with the price. We are his. He owns us and therefore we must learn how not to live from these Judeans who were punished by God because they had other gods. And in James, we hear about loving the world or this sinful friendship with the world. The world, the flesh and the devil, want our attention. The trinity of this world. And maybe it's TV, music, media, uh, whatever, politics, whatever is in this world, the things of this world, they want to be on the throne. But God says, no, worship me alone. He is a jealous God. And we see his jealousy in punishing Jehoram with these attacks. It reveals something of his nature that has not changed into the new covenant. He's jealous for our worship. He bought us to worship him alone. Well, continuing in 2 Kings 8, verse 23, winding down the life of Joram or Jehoram, the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, which we just read. We jumped ahead a bit to add information about God's punishment. But the Bible here references itself. It's like when Peter said, and Paul wrote things hard to understand. The Bible in Kings is referencing Second Chronicles. And I don't know about you, but it's fascinating when the Bible references itself. We often hear Jesus say, it is written, or the apostles speaking of something is said in the second psalm. But here, the author of Kings references Chronicles. So apparently they were written uh, when, when the author of Kings was writing, Chronicles was already completed. So lesson four, if the Bible repeats itself, we should pay close attention. If the Bible repeats itself, we should pay close attention. Sometimes Jesus repeated himself. Sometimes the apostles repeated themselves. We have the Gospels that repeat themselves, if you will, from a different vantage point. And it's the same way with Second Kings, well, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. And so we compare the stories from a different vantage point and gain nuggets to understand the whole. If the Bible repeats itself, which it does often, we need reminders over and over, and that's what we do as we're teaching. We teach often the same truths. You might say, Brett, John, Tom, I've heard that before. You preached that last year. You're right, because the Bible does repeat itself and references itself, and therefore we should pay close attention, especially in these historical narratives which are difficult. And you can find the same thing if you study Ezra and Nehemiah. You can study some of the minor prophets who spoke during the same time. Uh, when you're looking at um, Kings and Chronicles, you could read Jeremiah and so forth, and you can compare the, the histories together to better understand them. So just looking at, again, Chronicles, uh, what it says, you can find in First Chronicles 3, there's this... Uh, this legacy of Solomon, Rehoboam, all the way down to Jehoram, and then particularly Second Chronicles 21 that we read earlier. Listen to just a few verses from that chapter. 
Now when Jehoram had taken over the kingdom of his father and made himself secure, he killed all his brothers with the sword and some of the rulers of Israel also. So that's why the author of Kings that uses shorthand, you can read more in the Chronicles. And we need to read Chronicles to fully understand how wicked Joram or Jehoram was. He killed all of his brothers and some of the other rulers in Israel. He was a murderer. He was a very wicked man. Also in that chapter, it says, He made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot and led Judah astray. He had a godly father, Jehoshaphat, but he didn't follow his example. He followed the idolater, Ahab, and he followed his wife, uh, Athaliah, into great wickedness. And all of the southern kingdom of Judah, he led them astray with these high places and these stones and these pillars to worship them instead of the true God. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was a wicked man. So again, compare Kings with Chronicles, Scripture with Scripture. And the epitaph on his grave, as it were, when he died, it says, and he departed with no one's regret. Wow. He's already described as a man who did evil in the sight of the Lord, but even among people, among men and women, he departed and died with no one's regret. Second Chronicles 21.20. What an epitaph. What a a horrible legacy that nobody regretted when you died. They were glad. Wicked man. Well, moving from Jehoram now to the second king, Ahaziah, verse 24, the next king of Judah. So Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Ahaziah, his son, became king in his place. So again, we've been talking about all the kings of Israel and all that was going on with Elisha. Now we're into these two kings of Judah. Uh, Jehoram is off the stage, and now we have Ahaziah, his son, became king in his place. Verse 25. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Again, this is why we have the chart It can get really confusing. If we had a pop quiz right now, I'd fail it and probably so would you because Jehoram, Joram, Jehoram, back and forth again, it's challenging unless you're a genealogical expert. It's difficult. So right about 842 B.C. And again, Jehoram of Israel was the uncle of Ahaziah. Jehoram, his sister, was... Athaliah, the family, it's, it's all messed up. It's a one big genealogical, ethical mess. Verse 26, Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, a young man, and he reigned only one year in Jerusalem. And again, and his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, King of Israel. And you can see on your chart, above Ahab is Omri. He was very wicked, the father of Ahab. And 
That's how she's described in this passage. And his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, the king of Israel, Ahab's daughter. In the earlier section, uh, she's described as the daughter of Ahab, verse 18. But here, she's described as the granddaughter of Omri, maybe pointing to worse wickedness. And she would become queen. You'll see on the left side under Judah, after Ahaziah, she will be the queen for several years. And, and wow, she is extremely wicked. Maybe worse than Jezebel. But that's his mother. Just a, a note about her from Second Kings 11.1. 1. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. She murdered all the royal offspring because her son was gone so that who would be the, not king, but queen herself? She was extremely wicked. And you can find godly mothers in the Bible. Um, you can find wicked mothers in the Bible. And this one is extremely wicked. And her influence over her children is horrific and bloody. Be warned. Again, by God's grace, none of us will be like her. But the potential, apart from God's grace, is there. Verse 27, describing how Ahaziah lived, he walked in the way of the house of Ahab, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab had done, because he was a son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Three times in this verse, we see the words repeated, the house of Ahab, the house of Ahab, the house of Ahab revealing the influence that Ahab had even over the southern kingdom. Ahab was the the notorious king of the north, Israel, who influenced the southern kingdom to such a degree in these two cases of Jehoram and Ahaziah that they're described as so wicked because of their connection and following the example of Ahab. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. This reminds me, in the fifth place, of Hebrews 4.13. A lot of parallels with Hebrews, interestingly. That verse says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. When we had, when our kids were little, we used to teach them the children's catechism, which I recommend to you and for your grandkids in the future. One of the questions was, can you see God? Maybe some of you know that one. Can you see God? No, but he always sees me. That's a profound truth. Can you see God? No, but he always sees me. In the words of Hebrews, there is no creature hidden from his sight. No one can hide from God. You can't hide from God. I cannot hide from God. All things, that should give a bit of a shudder, are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees our very thoughts. Nothing is hidden from him. 
and he saw all that Jehoram and Ahaziah did outwardly and from within. We may not commit the same sins that these wicked kings did, but have you ever been sinfully angry at someone and hated them? Jesus said, if we've hated someone, we've committed the sin of murder. We may not have had the idols like Ahab and these kings had, but do you have maybe an idol of, of, of food, of, of sleep, of self? God sees those things. And that's why we need Christ to bear our guilt. And we're warned that God is watching. He sees all things. I think catechisms are good. Maybe we need reminded uh, brothers and sisters, all of us here are adults or young adults. Can you see God? No, but he always sees me. Again, beware of the influence you can have, men, over your children, over your grandchildren, over your sons-in-laws. And by the way, if my numbers are correct, it says that Ahaziah became king at age 22. Ahab had died 12 years earlier. So he was only 10 years old, hearing and, and watching his grandfather, what he did. And yet he had this influence. Surely it's not just the imitation but following in the sin of, but he heard about and he saw it in his own father, the influence for generations to come by the way we live. May we have a godly influence and not a sinful one. And if others do see us sin, let them see us repent, which is what's missing from this story. We see it in David who committed great atrocity. We see his great sin, yet we see his great repentance. But we don't see it in Jehoram. We don't see it in Ahaziah who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 28. Israel and Judah now unite against the Arameans, which we covered last week. Then he, that is Ahaziah, king of Judah, went with Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Hazael, king of Aram at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Arameans wounded Joram or Jehoram. They made an alliance together to fight against this Hazael who, who had murdered Hadad. We read about that last time. So they're fighting against him as they had for many years at different times against the Arameans. As a matter of fact, their fathers, Ahab and Jehoshaphat, also fought the Arameans at Ramoth-Gilead. And you can read about it in Second Kings 22 and following. Their very fathers had a very similar battle at the same location. But Jehoram is wounded. He doesn't die, but he's wounded by the Arameans in the battle. Verse 29. So King Joram of Israel returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which the Arameans had inflicted on him at Ramah when he fought against Hazael king of Aram. Then Ahaziah the son of Jehoram king of Judah went down to see Joram the son of Ahab in Jezreel because he was sick. So they they were fighting and Jehoram was injured and we find that 
he goes down to visit his friend, his relative, and that's how the story is going to wind down as as it looks toward the next chapter. It's sort of the calm before the storm, even though he's injured, he's getting he's getting healed, he's getting taken care of here in Jezreel. The two kings are together, but they are going to be devastated in chapter 9, in the days to follow. The calm before the storm by the hand of Jehu, who will be God's sword to punish both Israel and Judah. So what did we learn? And then if you have any questions or comments. We said in the first place, beware of family or friends who are a bad influence. Beware of them. Watch out. Second we noted that beautiful truth that the Lord's promise of a Davidic king could not be thwarted by the most wicked of kings. They were very wicked, but it did not stop God's plan, which culminated in Jesus Christ, the son of David. Third, from Exodus thirty-four fourteen, you shall not worship any other God for the Lord, whose name is what? Jealous. Do we think of God in that way? Whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. That's why he's punishing Israel and Judah in these stories. Fourth, if the Bible repeats itself, we should pay close attention. Compare Kings and Chronicles or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or whatever parallel passages and repeated verses we have. Fifth, we said from Hebrews 4.13, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Well, I hope that was helpful to you and at least whetted your appetite to read Kings, to read Chronicles, and to compare them together. I believe there's great lessons here, great warnings of how not to live, the warnings of bad company, the warnings of marrying a bad spouse. It is extremely in your face that this uh, king, Jehoram, committed great evil because he married the daughter of Ahab. And then even the mother of their son, Ahaziah, committed great wickedness because his mother led him in the ways of Ahab. It's a great warning about who you marry and the company that you keep. Do you have any questions or comments before we wrap up with prayer? Okay. Well, come talk to me, please, if hopefully it was clear and not too confusing with all of these characters. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word that is profitable for teaching. We believe it, Lord, and may you Illuminate your text from here in Kings, from Deuteronomy, from James, from the Gospels, from Chronicles. Lord, may we be a people of the book. Thank you for these lessons. May we be aware that you are watching and may we be zealous by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be zealous for good deeds, to put to death the deeds of the flesh that we might by your grace, leave a good example that we would point others to you by our lips and our lives. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that Jesus has sat down at the right hand 
of God, of yourself. And he is the fulfillment. He is the yes and the amen of all your promises. We rejoice that wicked men cannot thwart your purposes. Even your greatest purpose to send your son and these genealogies that included horrific, terrible people like Jehoram, like Ahaziah, like Athaliah, yet even through their seed, you would bring the Messiah. We praise you. We thank you for such a great salvation. We do pray in Christ's name. Amen.